Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by my course, Rest Assured. If you've been struggling with falling asleep, or staying asleep, or just not waking up feeling well-rested, you've come to the right place. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, or CBTI, is the gold standard intervention in the management of insomnia. Rest Assured is a digital course that walks you through CBTI, step-by-step, with everything you need to succeed. Each of the six weekly modules guides you through some important background information for the different techniques, explores the evidence-based techniques in detail, provides multiple examples of exercises so you can find the one that works for you, and reviews the work you've completed since the last module. And rest assured, it's just not another DIY left to your own devices, but rather, you get direct access to me, a board-certified sleep physician in twice-monthly office hours, where you can ask me face-to-face any questions you may have about the course material. So check out www.wellrestedmd.com slash RA to learn more. That's wellrestedmd.com slash RA. Or just head to the homepage and click on courses to learn more. Enjoy the episode. Hey, friends and neighbors. You're listening to the Well Rested Podcast, episode number 14, Caffeine and Nicotine. I have a confession. Hello, my name is Josh, and I'm an addict. It's been 25 minutes since my last drink of coffee. Today I'll be discussing the two most commonly used psychoactive substances across the world, caffeine and nicotine, and how they could be affecting your sleep. I was probably 13 or 14 when I first started drinking regularly. Got so bad, I started drinking first thing in the morning, the eye-opener they always warn you about. Soon I needed to drink more and more just to get the same effect. Just kidding, or kind of. I'm a coffee junkie, and I'm not proud of it, or maybe just a little. I'm definitely not ashamed. I think coffee is great, and you should too. When I first started drinking, I used some milk, maybe some sugar. It was like a dessert that also pepped me up. I still enjoy the occasional white mocha macchiato as a special treat just for me, but I love just drinking it black. Black as sin, dark roast, coffee, espresso, doesn't matter. The heat, the bitter, the bite. I like the way it tastes. Helps wake me up, and it alleviates my withdrawal. But we'll get to that in just a moment. I have a little ritual around it. Preparing the programmable coffee maker every night, grinding the roasted beans a couple times a week. The first sip, the last sip, it's part of my day, and coffee prep is part of my every night. And caffeine is part of the days of billions of people all around the world. Maybe not coffee per se, but the primary physiologically active substance in it called caffeine. Caffeine can be found in a lot of plants, from coffee beans to teas to chocolate. And over 60 plants naturally produce caffeine. Caffeine is a stimulant. It can help alert you, help you to stay awake. It can increase your heart rate. It lowers the risk for heart disease, including pathological irregular rhythms like atrial fibrillation. And it lowers the risk for breast cancer. And it's not all sunshine and roses. When caffeine is metabolized, it requires the addition of water. And the end result is you lose more water with caffeine processing than it took to consume it in the first place. It's dehydrating. Caffeine can increase the risk for a fast heart rate, and even a benign form of skipped heartbeats called premature ventricular contractions, or PVCs. Caffeine can lead to withdrawal symptoms. For instance, basically the only time I personally ever experience a migraine headache is if it's been too long since my last cup of joe. In fact, we often counsel individuals suffering from headaches to monitor their caffeine consumption, because it's usually not the caffeine itself, but the withdrawal that can trigger headaches even among non-habitual drinkers. And caffeine itself is a common treatment for headaches, with several medications, both prescription and over-the-counter, 
combining a little bit of caffeine with standard analgesics to alleviate headache pain specifically. But caffeine is a great way to stay alert. It helps you wake up. It improves reaction speed. It can improve cognition. And the way that caffeine works in your brain is on what's called the adenosine system. Caffeine specifically blocks the receptors for adenosine in the brain. It doesn't actually affect the adenosine itself, just your brain's perception of how much adenosine is actually there. And this is important for a particular reason. Adenosine, when it's snuggled up close to three phosphate molecules in a form called adenosine triphosphate, or ATP, this is the major source of energy in your body's cells. ATP is so vital to the fundamental operations of every single living cell in your body to keep you alive, one of my biochemistry professors in school often quipped that ATP is life. And when your cells use ATP, or more accurately, the energy stored in the chemical bond between adenosine and those phosphates, the leftovers include naked adenosine all by itself, like a discarded banana peel. And just like a clean monkey's cage may indicate it hasn't yet eaten, and a monkey cage piled high with empty banana peels is a marker for a recently completed feast, adenosine is an indicator in the brain of energy consumption, or like an odometer for how many miles your brain has been driven. The higher the adenosine, the more energy your brain has consumed from ATP, and the less energy it has left in reserves. So not only does adenosine concentration tell your brain how much energy it has used and how much it has left, but adenosine is also responsible for the feedback telling your brain it needs to rest, to restore levels of ATP, to reset the odometer after filling the tank to get ready for the next day. Adenosine's actions in the brain are of sleep pressure or sleep drive. The more your brain has depleted ATP and created more adenosine byproduct, the stronger the biological push to sleep again and restore energy levels. So when you've been awake for just a couple hours, adenosine levels are still pretty low and you generally won't feel that tired after being awake for just a couple hours. But after being awake for 16, 17, 18 hours straight, your brain has burned through a lot of ATP during that time, creating a lot of adenosine. And there is much more pressure behind the floodgates, forcing your brain closer to sleep. More adenosine, more sleepy. And since caffeine blocks the receptors for adenosine, your brain is in the dark about how much energy it has gone through and you don't feel that mounting sleep pressure. It's like putting a sticker that covers your fuel gauge in your car. If you have no idea that you're only running on fumes, you probably won't be in nearly as much of a panic as when you see that needle edging closer and closer to the E, prompting you to go to the gas station and refuel. Caffeine doesn't prevent your brain from getting sleepy any more than a sticker on the fuel gauge prevents you from running out of gas. It just blinds you from knowing you're running out of gas. So with caffeine, you are more alert and you are less aware of mounting sleep pressure. But this gradual increase in sleep pressure, determined by how long you've been awake, is one of the main drivers of our sleep-wake system. So if you block the sleepy signal too close to your intended sleep time, guess what happens? You don't feel ready for sleep. Your internal sensors are telling you there's not enough pressure to induce sleep, and you don't feel sleepy. So you stay awake. Or you get into bed as intended and can't fall asleep, because that signal to tell your brain that it needs to sleep, that adenosine, is being blocked by caffeine. So the problems with sleep from caffeine are primarily about timing. It takes your body about five and a half to six hours to metabolize and clear out about half of that initial caffeine. Meaning that if you have a cup of coffee at 7 a.m., by 1 p.m., it's like you just drank half a cup. Or more problematically, 
If you have a cup of coffee at 5 p.m., it's like downing a shot of espresso at 11 p.m. And because the rate of breakdown of caffeine, a 5 p.m. cup of coffee is like half a shot of espresso at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m., its effect doesn't just suddenly disappear because you want it to. It lasts a while. But no, caffeine doesn't follow some blah where any caffeine consumed closer to habitual bedtime forces you, without exception, to stay awake. That's not how biology works. And caffeine is clearly not the only influence on your sleep and wake habits. But some people wear like a badge of honor and brag that they can drink a cup of coffee and then go right to sleep. Like, it doesn't affect me, na 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 boo boo But it does. Fundamentally. Neurochemically. This dichotomy between being awake or being asleep is not the only influence of caffeine on the brain. It directly affects the depth of your sleep. Adenosine, this cellular waste product and marker of used energy in the brain, doesn't just pressure the brain to sleep, but directly influences the kind of sleep your brain can achieve or not achieve. The stronger the force of adenosine, the more adenosine there is building its pressure behind the dam, the stronger the rush of the waterfall when that dam is opened. More adenosine equals more deep sleep. More adenosine equals more high-quality sleep. And when that adenosine signal is blocked by caffeine, when your brain doesn't feel that force, it does not respond with deep sleep. The literal electrical activity of your brain cells is directly impacted by the perceived adenosine concentration. So even when amounts of adenosine are high, but your brain is blind to them, blocked by caffeine, you don't get that deep sleep. Less deep sleep at night, even with the same total duration of sleep, the more tired you'll feel the next day. When caffeine is available to your brain close to your intended sleep period, it will make it harder to fall asleep. Delay the time till you can fall asleep, and significantly lower the quality of sleep you can achieve once you do fall asleep. Falling asleep right after drinking coffee is not something to brag about any more than is bragging about going outside in a snowstorm naked. Yes, it's possible, but it's just stupid. It's self-sabotage. Even if you do fall asleep within a few hours after drinking caffeine, you will get low-quality sleep. The lower quality of sleep you get, the more tired you feel the next day, and the more likely you are to reach for more caffeine to compensate and just repeat the cycle. Caffeine is great, but just like light exposure I've been badgering you about, the timing of caffeine is important. Any caffeine consumed within about 8 hours of your intended sleep time has been shown to negatively impact sleep both in the ability to fall asleep, stay asleep, and the quality of sleep achieved. Caffeine consumed in the mornings or just before lunch does not cause this problem. So if you're an addict like me, and you've got to get your caffeine fix, do it early, and avoid it like the plague in the afternoons. Unlike caffeine, I don't have anything positive to say about nicotine. Unless you've been living under a rock, you know that smoking is bad for you. But you may have the incorrect notion that substituting smoking for vaping or dipping or, or the patch or gum is somehow better. But it's really not. Yes, smoke is bad for you. Whether it's tailpipe exhaust or sucking fumes from a campfire, there are particles, pollutants, carcinogens found only in the incinerated aerosolized smoke that you won't find in fresh, clean air. And that smoke is harmful. The smoke of cigarettes or cigar smoke appears to be the main driver of chronic lung disease like emphysema or chronic bronchitis form of COPD. However, the associated risks of most of the cancers, from stomach cancer, pancreatic cancer, skin cancer, and the risk for vascular disease like heart attacks and stroke, that risk, the preponderance of the death and destruction wrought by cigarettes, is attributed to the nicotine, regardless of its method of entry. So that's an absolute no. Vaping is not safe. 
Dipping is not safe. Patch, gums, all that nicotine is incredibly harmful and indisputably dangerous, a slow suicide. And like caffeine, nicotine is a stimulant. It directly stimulates acetylcholine receptors in the brain, in fact. And acetylcholine activity is alerting. Nicotine is alerting. It is stimulating. But you might say, nah, brah, smoking relaxes me. It doesn't amp me up. It is easy to confuse the decrease in agitation that accompanies giving in to a craving with a physiological relaxation response. Nicotine is definitively, undoubtedly, indisputably not relaxing. But neither is craving. An addiction. It gnaws, it grinds, it eats at you. The urge, the need to give in and satisfy the craving. When you get that cue, like stepping out of the office for your break, or having your morning coffee, or when you go to a bar or see that friend you always share a smoke with, that cue triggers the craving. And when you don't give in, it's agitating. It's agonizing. The same is true for any craving. It's upsetting to experience that craving. It's irritating. But as soon as you scratch that itch, once you give in to the urge, satisfy that craving, the craving subsides. And the agitation subsides. The discomfort subsides. But that alleviation of craving is a very different thing than the undeniable chemical effect of the substance of nicotine on the nicotine receptors in your brain, which is a stimulant. Nicotine, no matter the form it comes in, gum, patch, vape, e-cig, cigarello, cigar, does not matter. Nicotine is a stimulant, and stimulants interfere with sleep. One 2019 study among young adults who reported stimulant use, including coffee, energy drinks, cocaine, nicotine, and non-medical use of prescription drugs like amphetamines, the researchers found that after adjusting for several background characteristics, the only predictor of poor sleep, despite use of all these other stimulants, the only predictor of poor sleep was the total amount of nicotine consumed per day. Not caffeine, not cocaine, nicotine. Nicotine users on average achieve less sleep than non-users. And the earlier that first cigarette of the day after waking, the more likely the individual is to suffer short sleep. And as a result, the more likely they are to suffer excessive daytime sleepiness. And the effects are not just on the quantity, but the quality as well. Nicotine significantly delays the time it takes to fall asleep. Nicotine users suffer more sleep fragmentation. Nicotine increases what's called WASO, W-A-S-O, or wake after sleep onset. Nicotine increases the amount of time you spend awake in the middle of the night after you've initially fallen asleep. This delay to fall asleep initially, plus an increase in middle-of-the-night wakefulness, not only decreases the total amount of time spent asleep, but severely worsens sleep efficiency. Nicotine users spend far more of their time physically in the bed, actually awake rather than asleep compared to when they are not given nicotine. Nicotine causes a significant increase in the percentage of time spent in the lightest stage of sleep, called N1. N1 sleep is so light, in fact, that while physiological measurements may demonstrate a person has just transitioned from wake to sleep, the individual's experience is that they weren't even asleep. There's just a gap in memory, an amnesia of the time, but not the sense that one was actually sleeping or getting rest. And one is sleep, yes, but it's not good sleep. Nicotine increases the percentage of this N1 sleep. And nicotine decreases the percentage of time spent in rapid eye movement sleep. The depth of sleep is significantly altered. Nicotine significantly decreases the amount of deep sleep achieved. Nicotine has been shown to interfere with the cellular processes in part of the brain called the hippocampus, decreasing the amount of an important protein involved in learning and memory formation. 
Among nicotine users suffering one of the worst complications of nicotine use, lung cancer, the more they continue to smoke, the worse their lives. The worse their quality of life compared to other sufferers of lung cancer who also still smoke, just less. From physical function, how they function in their role in the family and society, emotional functioning, cognitive functioning, their global health status, their social function, all significantly worse among those who continue to smoke more heavily than those who continue to smoke but a lower amount. Fatigue, nausea, vomiting, pain, feeling short of breath, appetite loss, diarrhea, financial hardship, all significantly worse among those who smoke more. And the main driver of this effect? The greater the nicotine use in these individuals, the shorter their sleep duration, the worse their sleep efficiency, and the worse their daytime function due to the sleepiness. Nicotine is just hands down bad for you. And it's even more bad for you when consumed closer to bedtime. Your liver processes nicotine, breaking down about half of it in two hours. But the first main metabolite, the first main breakdown product of nicotine, is called cotinine, is active. And this metabolite stays active for much longer, taking about 15 hours for your body to break it down by only half. So even having just one cigarette in the morning right after you wake up, that nicotine and its descendant cotinine are still around in sufficient quantity to impact your sleep that night. And most consumers of nicotine do so repeatedly across the day, leading to stacking of the concentration of nicotine and this metabolite. So by the end of the day before bed, the residual concentration of these stimulants in the user's blood is higher than at any other point throughout the 24-hour period. Higher stimulant concentration, higher score on the bad sleep scale. So to summarize, be mindful of what you are putting into your body. Be aware of psychoactive ingestibles, what they are, what they do, and for how long. Caffeine is widespread, but primarily found in coffee, energy drinks, teas, and chocolate. Caffeine is a stimulant that blocks your brain's knowledge of how tired it really is. And this chemical blocking prevents your brain from experiencing the surge of deep, high-quality sleep it wants at night based on how active your brain was that day. Caffeine has a half-life of pushing six hours, meaning that after five and a half to six hours, your body has only processed half of it. If you're going to consume caffeine, and again, full disclosure, I'm a coffee fiend, do it early and end it early. Avoid caffeine within at least eight hours of your intended sleep time, or as a simple rule of thumb, no caffeine after lunch. Otherwise, you'll get less sleep and lower quality sleep, and not wake feeling refreshed. Nicotine is a no-no. Unlike caffeine, where there is a safe amount and safe time to reap benefits, as far as we know, there is no safe level of nicotine ingestion. Nicotine increases the risk of serious medical problems, including cardiovascular disease and numerous cancers. And again, this is nicotine, not just the cigarette smoke. Nicotine makes it harder to fall asleep, will cause you to wake up more across the night, achieve less sleep overall, and achieve a disproportionate amount of really light sleep at the expense of significantly less high-quality sleep, including deep sleep and REM. Nicotine and its active metabolite essentially stay with you all day long, with only half of their combined effect concentrations diminished after 17 hours. Use nicotine at all, and your sleep will suffer. I've created a little freebie for you, so head on over to wellrestedmd.com day to get a free cheat sheet to a day in the life of the well-rested, including some specific best practices to get that good snooze. That's wellrestedmd.com slash D-A-Y. Be sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to get all the latest episodes. Leave a review. Send us a question. And head on over to wellrestedmd.com for more information. Thanks for listening.